I remember one morning I pulled my curtains and this thing called nature just boomed into the room and light and green and trees, air. Spring came haunting my garden today and a song of cold flowers was on the grass. And though I could not see it, I knew the air was colored and new songs were in old blackbirds' throats. The ground trembled at the thought of what was to come. It was not my garden today. Today, it belonged to itself. At the dawn's smell of it, my children fled the house and went living in that primitive dimension that only they and gardens understand. And my dog, too, lost his mind and ran in circle after canine circle trying to catch himself. And do you know what he did? It was that kind of a day. Goonpod, the podcast which talks about slug copulation. More of that later. My guest today is the writer, poet, TV and film producer and performer Henry Normal, who along with his close collaborator Steve Coogan set up Baby Cow Productions in the late 90s. And Henry has worked with and written for the likes of Carolyn Ahern. Uh, he was a key in the development of both uh, the Mrs. Merton Show and the Royal Family and many, many, many other TV programs and films, uh, which we touch on. But he came to talk to me chiefly about the goons and Spike in particular. But I began by asking him about a TV show I absolutely adored in the 90s, which um, which he was involved with and he was a sort of co-creator of, Coogan's Run and the episode Get Calf. We, uh, we did um, uh, the Paul Calf video diary first. Yeah. Um, myself, uh, Steve, and um, Patrick Marber, uh, who also appeared in it. And um, that was great fun. Uh, just a, an half hour as a sort of a tester to see whether we could do uh, work together and do a series. And um, I remember sitting with Steve um, watching the first episode back, uh, Paul Carf Video Diary, and we got to the end and, and uh, he hung his head and he said, it's, it's too sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I loved the poetry in it. So I, I didn't think it was too sad. We, we won a, um, a BAFTA uh, yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I was very pleased with it. Uh, and it, we'd set a sort of a template of doing it as a video diary. So they asked us to do another one and we did uh, Pauline's uh, video diary. I played a, a chap called Darren who was supposed to look a little bit like Patrick Swayze, not that I do, <laughs> uh, um, and had an orthopedic shoe. Right, yes. So, so uh, it was quite funny. In the second one, uh, I was stood next to um, uh, John Hanna, 
Uh, oh yes, a great, great actor. Of course, Cole Coates was in is in uh, uh, Four Weddings, uh, which was roughly what it was based on. So I think it was uh, three fights, two weddings, and a funeral. That's uh, right. Um, yeah. And uh, so at um, at the funeral that we had in that um, for um, Patrick Marber's character, uh, I was stood next to to John Anna. And um, because I was supposed to have an orthopedic shoe, I had to wear an orthopedic shoe <laughs> uh, for the recording. Uh, and because uh, my legs are the same size, it meant that I, I had to like, um, obviously adjust my legs so that I could <laughs> stand upright. Um, I stood, uh, it was lovely standing next to John Anna, and we, um, I think that it took about three hours to, to film the particular scene. Uh, Steve had to jump in the grave yep. Uh, um, yep. and uh, he had to do it several times. And um, when I actually saw the edit, you never see below my knee. <laughs> so I could have had any shoes on. <laughs> uh, well, you suffer for your art. You do, you do. <laughs> After we'd done those two, that one won a, a BAFTA as well. And after we won, uh, they did those two. Um, they said, "Could we do a series?" This is the BBC, um, and um, Patrick had got something else to do, so he, he wanted only to do one, which he wanted to direct, um, which was the um, uh, the museum chap. Yeah. So uh, Steve and I wrote two to start with, which was the Ernest Moss yes, uh, mm. and uh, and Get Calf, which is based roughly on Get Carter mm. uh, um, in the, you know, it's, uh, um, uh, um, it's, a, it's a ruse for a pawn. Uh, That's right. Um, uh, 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 we find out at the end. And um, it was quite funny writing that because we always had um, a George Costigan in yeah. mind. Yeah. For the for the for the, el the elder uh, of the um, uh, of the people that were after him, and um, when we wrote it, uh, Steve used to do an impression of George Costigan. It used to make us really laugh, and uh, it was it was so funny that that we gave George Costigan uh, some of the best lines. Um, and then when we booked him and he, and he agreed to do it, he started doing it in a different way. So we had to go to him and say, can you do it more like George Costigan? <laughs> when I when I think of Get Calf, he is who I think of first, not not Steve. I think of George Costigan. Yeah, Kostigan. no, he, he's brilliant. He's, I mean, he's so charismatic. And we, we wanted, uh, you know, I think you're only as good as your villain. So we, we wanted mm. an adversary that, that would be, you know, sort of uh, uh, threatening to, uh, to Paul Calf. Yeah, absolutely. And, th and then uh, because uh, Patrick was doing other things, uh, we got um, uh, the lads that wrote Father Ted uh, yep. in to, to write a couple of episodes. Uh, and Steve and I uh, sort of worked on them to make sure that they were uh, in keeping with the characters uh, that, that he was creating. And uh, that was great fun working with them, uh, um, uh, uh, Graham and Arthur. Yep. And uh, they're very interesting to work with because uh, Graham's always very... Uh, uh, positive and Arthur's always very negative, uh, so they obviously work well as a <laughs> as a double act. Um, so if you ask him to do something, the Graham will go, oh yeah 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 yeah, and then Arthur will go, oh, do we have to? You know, uh, so that was um, it, you always got two two takes on it. But one of the good thing about uh, writing as a comedy team is you, you don't want um, to be the same, or you're going to come up with the same ideas. To have a, a, an opposing opinion is um, is a good idea. 
Yeah, well, I know Dalton and Simpson used to, one used to type and the other used to walk around the room and, and they just... Yeah. just well, we did that to... with Steve. Steve, Steve never typed a thing in, uh, in all the time. I work with him. Um, um, I'm slightly older than uh, Steve and uh, Carolina Hearn, who I work with. Um, mm. And I had a computer. Uh, uh, so uh, I was always the, the one responsible uh, right. typing and, and, and then going off and making sure it all worked on the page. Um, very often with Steve, I, I'd have to, so, like when we were doing the film, I'd have to explain to him where we are in the story and what's happening and where all the characters are. Uh, and then he'd, he'd come up with a brilliant line but he could never hold it all in his head. One film that, uh, obviously it's Baby Cow production, so you would have obviously had involvement. I'm not sure what extent your involvement was, but it's a film that I never thought I would particularly like. It's just that subject matter was not something that would necessarily appeal to me, but it's Philomena. And I, I saw that by accident almost. And I just, I've seen it, I've watched it about four times now. I think it's a fantastic piece of work. Well, um, very much Steve's baby, and uh, he worked with Jeff Pope on it, and it worked very hard. Um, when uh, um, we were trying to persuade uh, Judy Dench to uh, to work on it, uh, Steve actually went to Judy's house and read her the script. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, she agreed to do it. So when I first met uh, Judy Dench, um, I uh, explained to her that uh, I'd written her a sex scene. And she said, no, 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 I've never done a sex scene in my entire life. Oh. And I said, no, no, I, I wrote one for you. I said, it was about 30 years ago. <laughs> it was for Radio 4 uh, for a, um, a, uh, a programme uh, about animals. And uh, you were a slug. And I had to write 15 <laughs> minutes about the sex life of a slug. And she went, oh, my God, yes. Yes, I, I and I always remember I, I, I wrote about um, twenty pages for, for this uh, for this bit, uh, fifteen minutes, and because she read it so slowly, uh, she only read about ten pages. So, um, <laughs> she was doing, you know, she was acting, she was being a, a slug, and she thought they'd be very slow. So, um, I've got ten pages of unused slug sex jokes. Uh, uh, if anybody's wanting them. Oh, okay. I didn't know such filth was going out on Radio 4, but anyway. <laughs> well, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're very um, they're, they're, they're very intersex uh, slugs, so uh, it's it's rampant stuff. <laughs> I, I, I know that you wrote for The Fast Show, which I'm a big fan of The Fast Show. Um, yes, only, only, um, only uh, Caroline's bits. Oh, okay. So like the checkout girl. And, and, uh, and the, the two, uh, the couple. Uh, oh, Rick, uh, Reenie and Roy. Yeah, yeah. You know, we went to see Les Miserables, you know. Oh, it's really disappointing. It's all singing, you know. <laughs> no storyline. Oh, the tourists, they were all queuing up outside for the tickets. I said to Roy, it's a good job we booked ours on the dog and bone. What did I say, Roy? It's a good job we booked on the dog and bone. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think we wrote some stuff that didn't get in, but, uh, um, yeah. So, so yeah, just Caroline's bit. So, we, we uh, uh, Craig and uh, Dave Gorman and I would sit with her and, and just, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, write bits, and then I'd type it up and send it over. Um, in the in the eighties, you did a lot of you performed a lot of poetry in Manchester, um, yeah. I believe. And among those that you shared a bill with was Linda Smith, and I absolutely adore Linda Smith. And I always I was absolutely devastated when she died. And and um, did did do you have any particular memories of working with her or of her in general? 
uh, we, we shared the same agent, which was a uh, partner, Warren Lakin. So mm. we did a lot of a lot of gigs together, and I always loved uh, working with her because she's very intelligent, mm. um, and uh, um, it's very nice when the person you, you're on with uh, raises the the level of the audience's expectation to you know sort of uh, from the gutter to uh, to something more intellectual. Mm. So I, I I love that, and she was always very affable and and uh, sweet and. Uh, um, <laughs> all her material she used to write on the, the most tiny bits of paper uh, at all angles and all, all scruffing uh, you know like, like um bus tickets at the bottom of her, her, yes. her, her pockets yeah um but you know when uh, when she performed uh, uh, you know she had such a great way with language that uh, uh, she was she was brilliant um a story i, I sometimes tell is uh, um um, very aptly at um, Aberystwyth, where we arrived there and there was a rugby club. Uh, and um, it was quite frightening. I mean, I'm, I'm talking back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, to be in a place where you don't know anybody uh, and the crowd is full of a, a rugby club. Mm. Um, Linda Smith went on first and said, do I see the rugby clubs in? I thought, oh God, she's, don't mention them, don't mention them first. She says, I see the rugby clubs in, uh, men with no fear of head injuries and no need to fear them. <laughs> Got a big laugh. Uh, 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 so we're, we're off and running. Scientists have been having a warm old time in Exeter because there's a conference about global warming um, where they've actually worked out a, a timetable for it. So we now know, well, I now know that in, say, 30 years from now, the entire world is officially too hot for me because <laughs> I don't like it too warm. This was something, actually, I think this is something I've got from my mum because she'd say uh, the, the weather would come on the TV and, the, and, the, and to inject a bit of humour into the proceedings, the weather forecaster would say something like, and the hottest spot on earth tonight was Riyadh, which was 130 degrees. And my mum would go, oh, too hot for me. <laughs> Then, of course, we'd have to phone up Mrs. Mohammed and cancel that fortnight in August. But uh... Uh, she, Now, she was a big fan of the goons. Uh, I think um, her main radio uh, comedy, uh, she would say, would be Hancock. Hancock's mm. half hour. Mm. Uh, um, uh, she absolutely loved that. Where do you come down? Do you, are you more of a Hancock or, or a goon fan? No, I, I, like, I like Hancock, but... Uh, um, I discovered Hancock later, uh, and and um, I don't know. There's something when I uh, was um, exposed to the goons. It was I, I must have been in my teens, somewhere between fourteen and eighteen, I would say, and and. Um, and I think the fact that they were having fun and it was almost like a gang. Um, it seemed such a beautiful escape that you'd go with your mates and have a lot of fun and everything. Whereas Hancock, uh, in later life, it's, it's quite nice as a curmudgeonly older person to sort of uh, identify with him. But as a, as a young man, he didn't didn't appeal to me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it appeals uh, a little bit more now I'm, now I'm older. But no, there, there's something... Um, there's another world that uh, that um, the goons had created, you know. So it was it was a very strange world. Um, I'd go 
to the library. I'd go past the, the pub uh, and the um, the chip shop, and and uh, they were what you, we used to call grebos, uh, sort of rockers, you know, leather uh, mm. uh, sort of clad people at the uh, at the pub because they were slightly older, uh, and the skinheads would hang around the um, the chip shop, <coughs> and uh, occasionally they'd have a fight. But they'd look at me and, and uh, yeah, I'd got like flares or loons, which were £2.50 yeah, at, yeah. at the time. And um, they, they just sort of roll their eyes, basically. Uh, I remember one skinhead once coming up to me and said, uh, you're not worth stabbing, oh. which I took as a great compliment. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I take that as a compliment or an insult. Uh, well, the, 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 the effect of what I was wearing, uh, uh, obviously, uh, you know, brought out a pacifist in them. So I, I was quite happy with that. Uh, um, yeah, the, the weird thing was that very often they would fight these uh, rockers and skinheads and then later on they would walk home together because they tended to be the older and younger brother of the same family. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very straightforward. Anyway, as an escape for that, uh, I, I got into books. Uh, my mum died when I was 11, so um, I, I got very introverted and... Um, uh, I would read a lot. So I would read because I didn't have access uh, to the the actual shows. I'd heard some of the shows, but I didn't have access to to all of them. I'd read the Goon Show uh, uh, scripts. Yeah. Uh, you could buy from the from the shop and um, and do the voices in my in my head. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I think it was that that got me into the idea of um, of, of writing scripts. Um, okay. They were the first scripts I'd, I'd seen. Uh, I later went on to read uh, the Monty Python scripts and the uh, um, Morecambe and Wise, Tommy Cooper, and all that sort of thing. But the, the first ones I, I read were um, were the Goon Show. It's interesting what you say there because uh, I I mean I'm, I'm I was born in the mid seventies and I grew up in New Zealand. You know, a very sort of Anglophile country back then anyway. And so we were exposed to Milligan, Seacombe, Sellers on TV and films and, and whatnot. So I knew of- He had a, he had a connection, didn't he, with, um, uh, with Australia? Uh, yes. Relative yeah. yeah, I think his, his parents emigrated there um, in the 50s, I think, and his brother as well. So yeah, and he often, he loved Australia and he, he was often over there. Uh, but I, um, my mum died when I was 13 in a car accident. Um, freak accident, actually. Yeah, my my, my mum's uh, death was a car accident as well. Sure, yeah. yeah. So very, very sudden. It's not, it's not like we knew anything. It was, no, you know, no. Uh, um, well, one day you came home and, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. And it was soon after that. It's probably about a year after that because I was going through, you know, 13. And I'm sure you were the same. It was you, you, you sort of disappear into yourself, don't you? And, um, and it was just through sheer accident, sheer chance that, um, I heard uh, an episode of The Goon Show played on the radio and it, was, it was just hooked me immediately and it was just it just caught me at the right time uh, mentally emotionally whatever and I just sort of voraciously for the next so I was I, was, I would have been 14 there for the next sort of three four years I was I just was sort of in this fevered kind of obsession with the goons and anything to, to do with them so I, I collected as many recordings as I could and and whatnot and then I guess by the sort of you know, fag end of my teenage years, I kind of started to drift away and I, I got into other comedy and, you know, things like Coogan, for example, and, and stuff like that. But I, I always sort of kept an interest in the goons. 
And this podcast is basically an opportunity for me to sort of re-immerse myself in that world. And, yeah, and, and, re- and uh, I, I, I was lucky enough, um, uh, I think uh, around the age of 18, uh, they, uh, there was a small cinema in Nottingham, um, uh, in Ockley, which is sort of the, the arty bit, um, that actually played the case of the Muckanese battle. Ah, okay. Have you ever seen that film? Yes, I have. It's the only, it's the most successful goon screen venture, I would say, yeah. apart from yeah. apart from running, jumping and standing still film, which, I mean, neither film has Seekham, <laughs> but um, yeah. Muckadee's Battle Hall is, still holds up pretty well. Wasting no time, Superintendent Quiltan, Sergeant Brown began a thorough search for clues. Look, sir, an impression of a heel. Very clever, Brown, but we haven't time for your impressions now. Thank you, sir. Yeah, there's uh, lots of lots of gags in it. Mm. Uh, um, uh, it did make me laugh. So uh, I was, I was, so that that was that was great. Thinking, thinking not only in terms of radio, but thinking in terms of uh, other ways of doing it. I did see as well uh, the the puppet version of uh, of the goons on television, and mm. I, I I don't know how I saw that. I, I don't. Maybe I'm old enough to have seen it. Um, right. <coughs> well, that, that's telly the telly goons. So that began yeah. that began in sixty. Three, so it was, it was around the time that Doctor Who began on TV. Well, well I was I, I was born in fifty six, so sixty three, seven, seven. So yeah. I, I do I do I do remember it. So yeah, sixty three, sixty four. Uh, it wasn't whole, well, it wasn't successful in terms of it, it. It was very leaden, very wooden, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. There was no audience, obviously. The puppets were were quite rudimentary and lifeless. <laughs> really so it's uh and you watch- the thing is on the radio you you um you create the images in your head and you create vast uh, um expanses don't you and you you create um uh, a visual for each of the characters and my favorite character strangely enough it was moriarty all right uh, um, and uh, you know um so so i would identify with him where, when it was on and and uh, you know you you can you can make the characters look like anything you want what was it about him because he he tra- he was one of the characters that transformed the most over the course of the show's run because um we really only know the goon show from 54 onwards because the first couple of years the shows weren't kept they were binned, yeah. you know. So, so from series five, there are some series four shows that exist, but series five onwards, they kept them all more or less. And if you listen to series five Moriarty, which is 54, 55, he's this. Um, I, I sort of describe him as almost like a character out of Casablanca. He's this, uh, this, yeah, yeah, like a Peter Laurie type of character, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then, and then I, I, I think that's probably how I see my station in life that, that I, I'm the <laughs> uh, I, I'm the the sort of the, the weedy henchman of, of the baddie. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know why this something drew me. I love, I love the name, but uh, and but it, it's when he was referred to. Uh, I, I, I used to, I used to love it. I used to think, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's just something. Um, I don't know. I, I talked to him. I empathise with him in, in, in some strange way. This, this having to do what other people want you to do, and it not necessarily being the right thing. And you the so well. empty stomach in this rag whisker belongs to none other than Count Rumbles. <laughs> Moriarty, champion barbed wire hurdler until his tragic accident. Ah. 
he was enthralled to um, Grip Pipe Thin, which yeah. is, um, and Grip Pipe Thin's character more or less stayed the same throughout the run, but uh, but the, the both of them as a team, if you like, their station in life gradually deteriorates. I, I, see, I don't think, when, when I was a teenager, I didn't have any power. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, grip pipe thin uh, would have been, you know, the the all the teachers and the the <laughs> the, the older people, uh, uh, you know, and therefore I, I, you know, for me to identify, I, I was the lackey of of, of uh, these people that weren't were up to no good. We, we, at school, were you the you know the the stereotype, the lad who tried to make people laugh in order to stop getting a kicking? No, no, I was invisible. Right. Okay. Okay. One of the reasons I call myself Henry Normal, uh, um, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't remember me at school at all. Uh, um, uh, I say I was quite gregarious before my mum died, and then I, I became very withdrawal. Uh, um, I, I was the third worst results in the uh, in the first year um, of all the results, uh, and then uh, I had the best results in the fifth year. So I, I sort of. Uh, stopped mucking about basically uh, when my mum died and uh, um, and read books. I began writing uh, quite early, so probably around 13, 14. And I, I would write um, very much like uh, Monty Python and, uh, and I, I would write and pin them up at school uh, and uh, I'd call it, please do not read. Uh, and sometimes I'd, I'd pin him up upside down just to, you know, <laughs> yeah. see if I could see people craning their heads. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I did get uh, told off uh, for um, basically um, not doing my own work, but just writing rubbish. Uh, um, and I, I used to love that. That, that. that was my first attempt at, um, at doing comedy was actually just pinning them up around the school. So, so was, it, was it Cod Python stuff? Uh, yeah, there's a, a bit of everything, uh, you know, um, I'd make up little uh, stories about uh, uh, people that were known at school or people that were on my street and, uh, you know, and uh, um, uh, similar in a way to um, the, the way um, uh, the great McGonagall is written uh, in the yes. element, elements right. of truth, but, but, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big uh, fantasy. Um, and uh, then what happened was, um, I can't remember the exact uh, date, but um, Small Dreams of a Scorpion came out and I bought it thinking it was a comedy book. Uh -huh. I'd, I'd got a dustbin full of Minigan and, you know, all these mm -hmm. sort of uh, Minigan silly verse and all that. And I, I loved the way that these books were um, like a scrapbook. Uh, you know, there were some like... Uh, uh, um, a, a sort of prints in there with a, like a, a, a gag line underneath them. And there, some of them were uh, poems and some of them were just like little uh, snippets of jokes and, and, and snippets of stories. Um, and I, I, I used to read all those. Now, I, I like that idea. I, di I didn't want to do anything like a novel. I, I like the, the, the anarchy of, of it all being quite um, uh, Sort of short and, and yeah. the, 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 you know, the brain going off in different directions. It's one of the, the things I loved about uh, the Goon Show. It was the, um, it, it was surprising uh, all the time that you, the images came in from all over the place. And I, I think my brain is geared up to that sort of um, uh, salad, if you like, as opposed to, you know, 
a pasta dish where it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so when Small Dreams of a Scorpion came out, I read that and, and it made me cry. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is, uh, this is amazing that a man that can, can make you laugh can also uh, uh, make you cry. And uh, something clicked in me and, and, and I, I decided that, that I wanted to, to write comedy, but I also wanted to, to write serious poetry. Okay, so it was Spike that inspired you to write poetry. It is, yeah, and 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 then trying to find the marriage between the two because they're not necessarily. I mean, uh, you know, beyond Spike, there's very very few. You know, obviously Roger McGough. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I think uh, in his later uh, poems, uh, uh, Egley's written some some good uh, serious stuff. John um, John Cooper Clark. John Cooper Clark, yeah, um, uh, he, he sort of, uh, uh, yeah, he's got, he, he draws a line, doesn't he? He, he uses art uh, as a sort of a bridge between the two. And, um, you know, th there are a few uh, knocking about, some of the rant poets, uh, uh, Little Brother. Um, sometimes, very often, people will pick one thing or the other. I mean, I've not read all of uh, Pamir's, but um, most of it's light. Uh, yeah. Brian Bilston, uh, uh, who I love, uh, but most of it's quite light. Uh, um, so, but but to have something that actually makes you cry, and then makes you laugh out loud, um, you're probably talking an handful of people in the in the country uh, in in the last hundred years uh, have done that. What do you think of Ivor Cutler? I like Ivor Cutler. He's more whimsy, isn't it? It's, it's sort of a, the poetry equivalent of, of Vic and Bob. What do you think about the chicken with its big feathery skin? I don't know nothing about the chicken, I'm a mole. Give me a sledge and a hill of dirt going deep into the earth, and I'm as happy as a sand boy with an adult mature worm waiting at the end of the run. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I like it, but as I say, it hasn't got that passion. There's something about Spike's um, pain, I think, mm. uh, that, 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 that gave you a, a passion that, that, you know, for me, meant that I laughed bigger and I cried more right. than, yeah. than it just being a, uh, you know, oh, that's amusing or, or uh, yes, that, uh, um, that's interesting, but, but uh, it doesn't strike me emotional. There, there, there was something very um, unavoidably full on about both the comedy and, and, the, uh, uh, and, and the poetry. Um, that appealed to me, uh, and as I say, it's um, it's been something I've uh, I've spent fifty years uh, exploring. I don't think it's seen uh, as being a valid expression. Uh, um, you, I remember Woody Allen saying, that, "You know, with comedy, you never sit at the grown-ups table." Yeah. Uh, and I think if you do any comedy no matter how good the serious stuff is, you're not seen as a serious artist. Um, you know, if, if, if Nick Cave did a few gags before his songs, he probably won't be as lauded. <laughs> yes. As, as yeah, that's a, that's a very good comparison. Yeah. And uh, you met Spike as well, I believe. I did, I did. And uh, um, it, it's, some people take it as a bittersweet uh, um sort of uh, exchange but I I owe a great debt to him uh, um, and having read 
I won't say all his work, but uh, two thirds of his work. Um, there's so much there. I mean, that half hour program I did uh, for um, Great Lives, um, I don't, don't even scratch the surface of, uh, of what you could do. Um, it was a little difficult in that uh, um, uh, Matthew Paris wasn't a, a big fan of spikes. I could tell that. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah. So, so I, 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 you know, and I didn't know that before I arrived. So uh, um, I, I found myself in a position of rather than celebrating and, and enjoying and, you know, and having a bit of banter about it, um, sort of defending Spike. Um, but there's so many things that we didn't even touch upon. Um, and, uh, you know, we, you, you could take um, any strand. I mean, you take the goons, that, that's, that's a two-hour documentary. You could take the, um, the biographies, that's a two-hour documentary. You know, you take his, his live work, uh, you take his TV work, you take the, the influences. There, there, there's so many different aspects. You take the, the, the books that were um, seen as uh, a bag of bits, um, I, I mean, the the deconstruction of, of all these different art forms um, is something that he did, that um, he did first. Mm, mm. Uh, it's all right now, uh, you're going, oh yeah, Monty Python did this and that. Yeah, but they wouldn't have done it had there not been uh, Spike Milligan. And I was trying to explain um, that as an art form, and, and if you look at um, sort of uh, comedy from, you know, sort of uh, the, the musicals in England uh, through the, um, the the radio programs of the war, ITMA, and you look at the American programs, the, you know, sort of the vaudeville uh, and your you Jack Benny and your Bob, uh, Bob Hope and all, all that sort of thing. Um, and, and then you put Spike there. It's a totally different world that he was created. Mm. And then you look at the landscape since, it's changed the landscape since and widened it out. Uh, in in a, a way that maybe the surreal artists or uh, the impressionists did uh, for painting, uh, and uh, you know maybe jazz did for um, for, for music. Yeah. So you know his importance um, again because it's comedy is maybe underplayed. When you say there's so many facets to Spike that you could focus on, I spoke with Nick Newman couple of weeks ago because he and Ian Hislop have written this play which is focuses on Spike in the 50s yeah. and specifically on his running battles with the BBC essentially doing the goon show and that's yeah. that's a two-hour play you know that's just just one yeah, yeah. little small part of it um, I, I know, I, I, there's something very engaging about not only um, the stuff that he did solo but the fact that you, you very often if you're in a team you'll make something that's better than the two or three or four individuals that are involved uh, so i've been involved uh, um, the mrs merton show was uh, there's four writers mm. uh, um you know and uh, some of steve's stuff uh, we've written together uh, and then you know we maybe had other people involved in in different ways so, uh, and uh, adding up um, Baby Cow, obviously, um, there was lots of groups of um, writers involved in that. And there's something great about being part of a team as well. So Spike not only was good uh, as an individual, but, you know, um, 
being part of a team. I mean, he, he did some stuff with uh, Eric Sykes uh, that, um, you know, and I think Eric Sykes is probably very undervalued as well, mm. uh, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things. You, you don't really see people, uh, you know, lauding and doing documentaries and programmes about Eric Sykes, but he, they, sh- they should do. Yeah, I mean, Eric did work with Spike on the Goons in the sort of mid fifties. And, and I think it's commonly accepted that he, and also Larry Stevens, who was another writer with, with Spike on the Goon show, they, they yeah. sort of um, imposed more structure on the shows in that sort of mid, mid period, if you like. And then yeah. gradually as they were jettisoned or they moved on and, and it became more and more of a Spike show in terms of the writing, it gradually became a lot looser and, and less disciplined. Um, and yeah, and then if you look at the Q series, which a lot of the Q series is great, but a lot of it is terrible <laughs> watching it. I've got, you know, there's a... Yeah, there's but it's a, a, same with Monty Python, isn't it? True. You, you watch, true. watch a Monty Python, you know, uh, the, the, there's the sketches we all remember uh, yeah. and there's some ideas that will catch you sideways. Um, but some of it's quite formula. Uh, I mean, you can write a Monty Python sketch quite uh, easily. You just take two disparate things that have no connection with each other and force them to have a connection. So, but but uh, I mean, uh, very, very often they took things that you, you take the uh, the Yangtze River song. Uh, uh, so um, th- that's the, just take a river uh, in China uh, and do a football song about it. The, the, you know, the, the, as, as the, the, they're just two very distinct separate things yeah but by putting them together yeah. you make something that's that's absurd and and you know they, they did that many times do you have any sort of particular fondness for sellers work his films or oh yeah 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 and i think steve uh, was very much influenced by uh, yes. peter sellers and uh, um, I, I met steve when he was 19 and uh, uh, we went to see uh, a play um at the manchester um, library theatre uh, okay. about uh, Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, because uh, Steve did all the voices at the time, um, you know, that I could see Steve becoming the next uh, Peter Sellers. And I, I think he set out his stall to try and do that because Steve made a, a, um, a, a very brave decision early on um, not to be Mike Yarwood. Yeah. But, yeah go into character comedy and uh, he could have earned lots and lots of money and he was as a, a 20 year old earning lots of money uh, with spitting image and uh, you know and doing voiceovers for um, adverts and stuff like that um, but he, he you know he, he wanted to do character comedy and um, you know and, and films which he's now doing so um, I would say he is very I, I loved uh, um, uh, the old of Peter Sellers uh, were in a way it's quite weird when you, you look back and uh, you know I, I remember films that he did uh, like the Welsh uh, uh, librarian uh, Lothario only two um, can play yeah and and, uh, and and I love all those films but he'll be remembered for Pink Panther um, uh, which you know um, was such a big hit um, and uh, and he, he was funny, uh, but there's the, the, such a breadth to his work. Um, I suppose um, the film that he may wanted to be remembered for, that, that um, people who know his work will probably remember for, is being there. Yeah. 
um, yeah. and uh, having an autistic son, uh, um, I can see um, a very interesting through line to that character uh, when I watch it and, and think of uh, the, the way he uh, navigates through the world. Um, uh, and uh, I, I find it has great poetry to it. So uh, yeah. in a way, it's, it's a shame that wasn't his last film. Um, yeah, it's penultimate, yeah, because the last film was <laughs> Fu Manchu. Uh, yeah. you, do you know the story of where he got the character for Chauncey Gardner, where he, who he was, who he uh, was? Is, is it not a book? Uh, no, I mean, it, well, it is a book, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but but to get because he always had to find a character before he could. Get All right, uh, his characterization of it, yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, where, where was it? He based it on partly on Stan Laurel. Oh, yes, yes, that would make sense. Yeah, with the voice and the, the sort of general mannerisms. Yes, uh, yes, because Stan Laurel had, had that lovely um, childlike uh, sort of, um, he had a wonder uh, at the world, um, which drew you in and, and made you see it through his eyes. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah no. I, I, I think with, with regards to sellers now, there's a lot there's a lot of people reevaluating sellers today and yeah the pink panther is still up there but a lot of people now are looking at things like dr strangelove oh yeah as, yeah. as being his yeah being there and dr strangelove as being his his two major works really well, well dr strangelove um works on different levels and and i mean it's a, a classic um, um and you know a sort of a standalone film uh, you know, if you if you think of uh, and because of the darkness in it, uh, does appeal to um, uh, to people who are really into um, uh, into film. Uh, you know, for more than just the enjoyment, but for uh, the different levels that a film can work on. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's a, a great film and. Uh, he always gave a good good performance, and uh, um, I think it's the breadth of characters that uh, that he, he came up with. Because uh, you know um, th there are actors, aren't they? I mean, uh, you know, uh, if if we think of uh, John Wayne and Stallone, and uh, you know, they basically play themselves. Yes. In every in everything, and and they do it well, and I've, I've no problem with that. But then there's other actors that that. Um, you know, they become a different character, uh, and uh, you know, we're, we'll say um, Gary Old uh, Gary Oldman is, is one. Yes, yeah, uh, um, uh, Dustin Hoffman uh, uh, to a, to a good degree, mm. um, and uh, you know, I, I think Peter Sellers had that. You could almost not recognise him sometimes. Um, I remember uh, walking past Steve once uh, in a, in a pub um, and not recognise him because he was dressed in a different character okay <laughs> he was great in um dr terrible's house of horrible oh um, yes yeah no I, that was fun to do with uh, graham duff uh, uh yeah. the main writer on that uh, and steve and i uh, worked on it and uh, um yeah he was great especially as as uh, dr terrible which uh, <laughs> was a hell of a makeup job we filmed <laughs> all the stuff with him as dr terrible in one day Right. Because we had to get the makeup on him and then the makeup off him. And that, that took so long. So uh, all those introductions uh, uh, to it were all filmed in the, on the one day.
Good evening. I'm Dr. Terrible. Welcome to my house of horrible. The last recorded burning of a witch in this country was one Molly McTiernan who was torched at Walmsley Manor House in Suffolk last Thursday. I can still hear the screams ringing in my ears. I mentioned before you met Spike. So, and I was, it was in Brighton and I'd been working in London uh, at Baby Cow and I was a bit knackered and uh, I, I was asked by the BBC, uh, Spike must have been about 80, um, so it was, it was um, a few years ago now. So um, I was asked to judge a comedy competition and I was sat next to Spike. Uh, um, as these things are, it take a bit of time to, to get ready. And, um, and so I said to him, you know, I, I um, love your poetry. I started writing because of your uh, poetry. And he, uh, he recited a few poems to me. And uh, of, course, of course, I've read them. And I know them. And I yeah. said, oh, I know them. And um, and I I was a bit conscious that I didn't want you know it to be a performance. I just wanted to talk to him as you know one bloke to another. Yeah. So uh, I was a bit tired and and I was struggling to find something that I could talk to him about. And I and I, uh, I knew that he lived near uh, Rye. So I said, uh, <coughs> Oh, you live near uh, Rye, don't you? Because I, I live in Brighton because I, I just love the beauty of the sea. And he, he leant forward and uh, with a little twinkle, he said, Henry, you're a fascinating man. <laughs> of course, I was devastated at that, at that moment, thinking, oh, no, I've, I've bored him. Uh, um, uh, but, you know, I, I realised, uh, uh, you know, it, it was said in jest. And uh, my wife now, if I've, uh, I say anything a bit boring, she'll say, Henry, you're a fascinating man. Oh. <laughs> Let me on your gravestone. Yeah, you know, it could be, couldn't it? Uh, <laughs> so I went, I went to see, because uh, um, I live in Fairlight now, I've moved to Fairlight, which is fairly near uh, Winchelsea, uh, um, and Spike's uh, grave is um, in the graveyard of uh, uh, St. Thomas uh, in Winchelsea. Yeah. So I, I went over to, to see it. And uh, not knowing where it where it is, I went in the church first. And it's, it's a nice church, with stained glass windows and, and everything. And then when I came out, I thought, I thought I'll, I'll look for it. But you can't miss it because there's about 200 graves there. But there's a path of basically mud where people have walked from the entrance to the church to uh, his grave so if you follow the mud uh, you, you get to his you get to his grave and there's something quite nice about the fact that um, that it's made by you know uh, human pilgrims as it were mm. and, and of course um, you know he has uh, it's in Gaelic so I'm, I'm not, I don't actually yeah. read Gaelic but uh, he has the, the words um, I told you I was ill uh, yeah which is Possibly the best best line on any gravestone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, it, was, it, was, it was raining when I went, and because um, I'd met him, it was it was quite strange standing there for for a minute and thinking, um, you know, it, it's sort of it brings home the mortality of us all when somebody so loved and so well known, uh, and you're there with you in the rain. So it was, it was a little bit of a moment. Um, if you think about all the people that you saw on television growing up, they all had this 
confidence and this uh, and this sort of uh, swagger of, uh, of doing well. Uh, and when you're a teenager and you've done now with your life and you've got no money, um, to be surrounded by all this display of confidence and um, it doesn't, you can't empathize with it as, as well. Uh, you, you know, it's almost a different animal. Uh, and Spike seems sensitive. Uh, so to me, uh, um, he was part of my gang. Right, yeah. Um, the, the other person that, that uh, somehow I empathize with was Jack Benny. Oh. Jack Benny had a thing where he, he would make himself the butt of the joke. Yeah. You know, so he, he would he'd pretend to be mean, although he wasn't mean. He was a very generous man. Uh, and, and he would pretend to be a bad violin player, although he was a good violin player. And, and you know, and, and he, so he, he had this, this sort of uh, persona where he, he wasn't the braggart. Mm. Uh, he, you know, he, he, was, he was the man with faults. Mm. Yeah, funny enough, I've been, because obviously we've all been, Mourning the death, the passing of Barry Cryer recently. I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you met Barry. Have you? Over the years? I, I met Barry strangely enough at uh, Linda Smith's memorial. Oh, uh, right. and, yeah. I, I read a poem at Linda Smith's memorial, and uh, Barry came up to me afterwards. And an uh, 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 absolute gorgeous man. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, I've really enjoyed his work over the years, and uh, it was such a nice man to talk to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a it's a sad uh, sad loss. Um. Again, a great writer who um, probably, um, you know, uh, if you were lucky enough to catch him perform, uh, that's a great privilege. But he didn't really get that many opportunities to perform on television. I think he did a thing, a programme with Tim Brooke Taylor uh, and Graham Garden uh, years ago, where they had a table uh, with lots of hats on. Uh, and uh, and they would put a, a different hat or a wig on uh, and do a sketch and then take that off and do another one. And it was obviously cheap enough for <laughs> right. the television uh, people to say, you know, give it a go. Okay, I'm not aware of that. Uh, listeners, please write it and let, let, let me know what that is. Um, no, but he, he uh, with all the, the, the programmes and, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Barry in the last couple of weeks. I, I always listen to Barry, but especially more so now. And he he talks about Jack Benny and talks about like he was a fan, was he? Yeah, and he said exactly what you said, basically. A very self-deprecating man, very warm, generous man, and very happy to give other people the laughs. Yeah. You know? And of course, uh, um, his show was the first show to have um, a black actor on television. Uh, uh, Rochester. He, he insisted on having the actor yeah. uh, um, uh, move with him from from the radio to the television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that these little breakthroughs um, seem in the distance seem, seem nothing. But can you imagine at the time mm. uh, that would have been a big thing? No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so. It's as we're recording this early February, by the time this goes out, it will be a couple of days before the 20th anniversary of Spike's death. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think his legacy is now? Do you think he's remembered now generally, or is he, is he sort of fading from memory? 
I think uh, he's remembered by different people to different degrees. There are people that owe him a lot. Uh, comedy as an art form owes him a lot. And there are people who enjoyed him uh, in a slight way. Uh, and there are people who uh, never enjoyed him uh, in the least and didn't find him funny. Um, because there are people with no sense of humor. Mm, mm. Uh, um, I mean, it, to, to, to be honest, um, the there's a lot of um, problems in the world, uh, you know, there's people with all sorts of uh, difficulties, um, both physical and, and mental, uh, financial, and, uh, you know, uh, lots of ways. Um, but to have no sense of humour throughout your life must, must be one of the worst things. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and... Uh, I remember talking to Steve about somebody in particular and, and uh, we were saying that you've got no sense of humour. And I said, yeah, but they've got a sense of joy. And Steve said, no. And, and I thought, if you can't even have a sense of joy, uh, you know, mm. there's, that, that's a grim life. That's, that's, you, yeah. You're talking about John Redwood there, surely. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about in particular, uh, but uh, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to disclose. But uh, the, the, the the there is something uh, very enhancing uh, about us laughing. And I, I read um, uh, Freud's jokes in their relation to the unconscious uh, when I was uh, in the early twenties, and um, the, the idea of uh, laughing. I think comes from the idea of uh, as admitting our imperfection. Mm. And uh, I think that's very healthy. Uh, and uh, to, to, to spread uh, uh, the whole idea of people um, accepting their imperfection and accepting the imperfection in other people, um, that's quite a laudable yeah. profession. Yeah. I used to read uh, uh, Spike on buses and trains and stuff and, and cry of, of, of laughing. Uh, and the one that made me laugh the most, if anybody has uh, not read it, um, was the first uh, 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 William McGonagall uh, book. Yeah, okay. Um, this, it was so inventive. Uh, and um, I mean, almost like a goon show uh, written as a story. Uh, and that I would recommend that to people. Yeah, well, McGonagall or McGoonagall would turn up in the goons again and again as well. And there were there was even there was a, a show called the Tay Bridge Disaster, which was very oh, yeah. much about yes, yeah. Oh. What's this approaching? Wearing a transparent kilt. Yes, sir, is a special kilt designed for patriotic Scottish nudists. <laughs> <laughs> I tell me. Is that the new bridge over the Tay? Yes, made of solid leather and due to be opened by Captain Webb, who will swim it. With red drawers of the smallest grist, no doubt. Henry, thank you so much for you know, taking the time to speak with me today. I know that you're preparing for a tour. Tell me about that. Um, I shall be touring from the 10th of February. I think it's about 24 dates. So keep adding extra dates. Uh -huh. And um, it's me uh, um, reading some poems, both funny and, uh, and serious, uh, telling some stories and uh, doing some jokes. And I do uh, 45 minutes, then we have a break, and then I do another 45 minutes. And uh, it's not 
wholly set in that uh, I keep changing it around. And uh, I enjoy sort of uh, interacting with the audience. So um, if anybody comes along, um, you know, I, I would hope you, you'd have a good time. As I say, it, it's very difficult to explain uh, fully because there's not many people that do both serious uh, and funny mm, yeah. uh, at the same time. So, um, you know, you've got to experience it to, uh, to, to, to know the roller coaster. Are you doing Manchester? I'm uh, doing Salford um, okay. this, this time. Yeah. Um, the, the Lowry, uh, is it? Is it the Lowry? Uh, the Lowry, yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great venue. Uh, so hopefully people will uh, travel. I'm up in Wigan as well, uh, which is fairly near um, Manchester. I, I had um, a phone call from um, Lem Sisse uh, last year. Uh, who uh, rang me up and said, uh, Henry, I've, I've got a full house in Wigan. I've made it. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> he, uh, he was brought up in Wigan. So, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that, was a big, that was a big thing for him. Oh, great. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and um, come along and see you in Salford. Oh, great. Uh, so, yeah. That would be great. Thanks again to Henry. Thanks for listening, as always. Uh, please rate and review in the usual places. Please let your friends and family know about the existence of this podcast because it does help to spread the good word. And if anybody that you know is into British comedy, um, then this is the place to point them. Okay. So I will be back next time with uh, another guest, another subject. Don't know what it will be yet, but I'm sure it'll be a humdinger. Uh, in the meantime, take care of yourselves. See you soon. Bye.